0: Welcome, welcome here to our Good Friday service here at the well. And this service is going to be a little bit different than what we typically uh, would have together as a time uh, of worship. And we're going to be in multiple places of, of Scripture. And I'm going to ask, though, if you have your Bible, to turn with me to the book of Luke. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, is where we will probably spend a little bit of time. But tonight, I want for us, uh, I want for us tonight to realize that one of the inherent dangers that comes with being a Christian is over-familiarity. Would you agree with that? It's over-familiarity. We take truths that we know and we heard and have been around, and they become so ordinary to us. They, they become so familiar, and they lose their sacredness in this life and just become commonplace. And in turn, we end up losing our conviction as Christians. You know, there, there's a portion... Of scripture in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul begins to write to the different churches and he made mention of that very thought to varying different degrees. And I want to look at two of these just for a moment tonight. They're going to hit the screen for you. But the first was to a confused and misguided church in the book of Galatians. He says, grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world. Amen. He came to deliver us from this present evil world. And he says, according to the will of God and our Father and to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I marvel That you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ and unto another gospel. To another church that was marked by division and disagreements, Paul writes this to the church at Corinth. He says this, and the next one that's going to hit the screen, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish. It's foolishness to the people who don't know Christ. But unto us which are saved, it is what? It is the power of God. And so it's very insightful in just these two portions of Scripture. And there are several others that we could have looked at tonight. But Paul was speaking directly to the church the followers of Jesus Christ in those passages, meaning God's people who knew the truth, but they had been removed from the power and the influence of the gospel. Their worship had become ritualistic. The grace inside of the congregation was being lost, and the cross was losing its significance. Today, our church bodies around America, especially, are following very fast down the same paths of the early church. There's a great danger today, tonight, right now, in letting the cross of Christ lose its significance in our life. There's a great danger. We live in a time, unfortunately, where a cross is typically known as more of a decoration or a religious symbol But that was an instrument of death and torture. The the cross was the first century version of our lethal injection or our electric chair. And there was no death in that time that was more dreaded by criminals. None so painful or humiliating. None so inhumane. In fact, Roman law did not permit its own citizens to die by crucifixion. And while we understand those things, to some degree the reality is that the cross must never become just a symbol to the Christian. It must never become just a symbol to the follower. There is grave danger in this happening in this life where we could end up being just like the soldiers at the foot of the cross who were gambling away Jesus' garments as he was hanging there dying. We could also be so close to the cross and yet so far away from Christ. Familiar with the symbol, but distant from the Savior. It was John Piper who said this, Life is wasted if we do not grasp the glory of the cross, if we don't cherish it for the treasure that it is, and cleave to it as the highest price of every pleasure and the deepest comfort in every pain. What was once foolishness to us, a crucified God, must become our wisdom and our power and our only boast in this world. As we think about that very thought, I'm sitting studying scripture to prepare for this entire week and I kept having this thought, I'm unworthy of the cross. I'm unworthy. My spouse is unworthy. My kids are unworthy and yet because of the cross we are made worthy. And as, as you think about that, I began to think about how that is the very paradox of the Christian life. Our worth is not in anything that we own or in anything that we do or how hard we try. It's only found in the death of Jesus Christ. That's it. Just that one place here upon a cross something similar to this right here the worthy one the the son of God laid aside the glory of heaven to take our sin upon him he was crucified for the unworthy he was crucified for the undeserving but by his sacrifice He crowns us with worth. Showing us that he loves us at an infinite cost of laying down his own life. The cross of Christ, church. Christian in here tonight. Follower of Jesus Christ. Friend The cross is not the affirmation of our specialness. It was really a punishment for our unholiness. The cross is is the intersection uh, of God's justice and mercy, not our lovability. And before we even begin to see the cross as something done for us, we have to see it as something that's been done by us. Tonight, in this place... It is only those who are truly aware of their sin that can truly cherish the grace of God. The one who can say that I am a sinner and I need a savior. Not just in that one moment of life and then I can go on living however it is that I want. No, I need a savior every moment of every single day in this life. Because guess what? Even though the Bible still calls me a saint through the blood of Jesus Christ and I've been given his righteousness, I still sin. I still mess up. I still run away from the things of God. And so we need a Savior every single day. So tonight, I want to submit to us as a body, those who are here, those who are online, those who will listen later, that this is still the cross. I want to submit that this is still the cross. And tonight's service is not a celebration. We're going to do that in two days because Sunday's coming, right? Tonight's service, though, is about contemplation. It's not so much about remembering we did that last Sunday on Palm Sunday when we partook of the Lord's Supper together as a body, but more tonight is about reflecting on the remedy for sin through the suffering and the agony of Christ when he was placed upon the cross. And so tonight, as I was preparing for this, an old hymn continued to run throughout my my thoughts. And I felt like I needed to echo and agree with the words of one of the most prolific hymn writers in history, a woman by the name of Fanny Crosby. She penned these lyrics in 1869. She said, Jesus, keep me near the cross, there a precious fountain. Free to all, a healing stream flows from Calvary's mountain." Near the cross, a trembling soul, love and mercy found me. There the bright and morning star shed its beams around me. Near the cross, O Lamb of God, bring its scenes before me. Help me walk from day to day with its shadow o'er me. Near the cross, I'll watch and wait, hoping, trusting ever. Till I reach the golden strand just beyond the river. In the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever. Until my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the river. And with those thoughts in mind, I would ask you to direct your attention to Luke chapter 22. And I'd like to pick up with us tonight in verse Number 39, a familiar passage. And it says, And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done and there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him and being in agony he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground and when he rose from prayer he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping for sorrow and he said to them why are you sleeping rise and pray that you may not enter in to temptation and this is god's word for us this evening let's pray Heavenly Father, as we begin to navigate what the cross means for us and and, and reflect on the relationship that brought us peace with God, I ask now, Lord, that we would not be like so many people who label themselves as Christians, so many churches, so many times like the disciples, that, that we would forget the sacrifice that you made. Lord, I pray that you would bring it constantly ever to our memories. I pray, Lord, that you would show us something fresh and new this evening and that as we end, Holy Spirit, that you would work in this place and challenge us uh, in the ways that you are going to challenge us tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. The first thing that I would like to remind us of this evening is that this, the cross is the place where Jesus paid the penalty for sin. The cross is the place where Jesus paid the penalty for sin. You know, shortly before Jesus was taken and beaten and nailed to the cross, he was praying here in this portion of Scripture in the Garden of Gethsemane. And and Luke pulls back the curtain on the suffering that Jesus was about to face. I want to reread to you what Luke penned. In verse 43, he says, And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. And verse 44, and being in agony, being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. In response to Jesus' prayer, the father did not take the cup away from his son, but he strengthened him. He strengthened him by an angelic messenger so that he would be able to take and drink the cup. So he would be able to endure the beatings, the moments of not even being able to, to be recognized from the blood and the bruises for, for the, having the ability to receive the crown of thorns upon his head for being laid upon a cross just like this and having his hands or or more, more regularly the wrists nailed to a piece of timber, having his feet crushed by another piece of metal. But he was strengthened by God. He had the strength to endure the agony Jesus was about to face the wrath of his own father and he knew what was coming because he knew God. I don't know how your family life growing up was, but I grew up with a very healthy respect and to a large extent fear of my dad. Anybody else resonate with that? I love my dad, don't get me wrong. My dad was not abusive, Please don't think that about my my parents. But I had a very healthy respect and a large extent fear of my dad. And what I mean by that is I knew that my dad had a side to him that I did not want to experience. I didn't. In fact, I knew how strong and how powerful my dad was as a young man. And I knew that if I had ever crossed the line, I would lose and I would lose really bad. I knew that. Our children... Um, one sitting up there in the the tech booth, um, have expressed some of the same thoughts concerning me as a dad, and you know my whole childhood um, as a as a I would say n- unruly child and teenager, uh, though I wasn't as bad as my siblings. Um, <laughs> ask, my ma'am, my, ask my mom. Ask my mom. Um, you know, th- there was this, this moment in my life where I always made the statement, I don't want to be like my dad. I don't want to be like my dad. My dad said this, and I'm never going to say that when I'm an adult. My dad did this to me when I was a kid. I'm never going to do that. Anybody else or is it just me? Right? Have those thoughts. I'm never going to do what my parents did. And we were having a conversation more recently with our, our, our really three of the four kids. And we were talking about this very thought. And our children began to express some of those same thoughts concerning me that I had about my dad. And and, and our children know, like, if I ever get in trouble with a babysitter, Or if I ever get in trouble at a family member's house or or with grandma and grandpa or, you know, God forbid they ever got in trouble at school, their thoughts would be like, I'm going to be a little nervous about getting in trouble, but I'm not going to be scared of you. Why? Because nothing that you say or do is going to be worse than what our dad does. Nothing. And I, I don't mean that in a joking sense. I mean that in the fact that that thought, that very thought, leads us to the place where Jesus was at. Jesus was about to face the very wrath of his father, the wrath of his dad, the very first time in Jesus' life where there will be a separation in his relationship with dad. I remember what it was like To not have a healthy relationship with my earthly father. I can't imagine. I cannot even fathom what it would be like to be completely separated and know from my heavenly father. And yet Jesus endured the very thing. He went to the cross and paid the penalty for our sin. Shedding his blood, giving his life The agony of Gethsemane was the agony of the Son of God in fulfilling his destiny to bring salvation. And and the, the very moment of time in history, the veil was pulled back to reveal all that it cost Jesus to make it possible for us to become sons and daughters of God. His agony was the basis for our simplicity in our salvation. His agony Not ours. The cross of Christ should be seen as a triumph. It was not only a sign that the Lord had triumphed, but it was a sign that he triumphed in order to save humanity, in order to pave a way because of what Jesus went through. Every human being has been provided with access to the Father if they accept Christ as Lord and Savior. Only. And I believe that the Apostle Paul described beautifully what occurred through the cross when he said this And you, being dead in your sins, in this uncircumcision of your flesh, he has quickened together with him, having forgiven all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us. And it took out of the way, and he nailed it to the cross. There's a whole lot in those couple of verses right there that resonate so much or should resonate so much within the life of a believer because guess what? Before the new life of Jesus Christ came into you, you were dead. You were dead according to Scripture. And the Bible has so many descriptions of man and woman apart from Jesus Christ. But that right there, if you, if you would... Being dead is one of the strongest descriptions of those apart from Christ that we see all throughout Scripture. Someone once told me that a sick person may need a doctor, but a dead person needs a Savior. A sick person may need a doctor, but a dead person needs a Savior. We cannot make ourselves alive, but God can make us alive together through Jesus Christ. You and I could never be alive apart from him. And according to that passage right up there, there was a, a handwriting of ordinances against every single one of us. What does that mean, Pastor? Well, it means that in the most simplest term, that there was a debt that you owed to God that you could never, ever pay. And it was your sin written out. Man, how scary would that be to see every sin that you, you did, are, or will commit written out? I mean, imagine trying to funnel through all of those pages where it was written out, literally as a manuscript of everything that you would say or do that would go against the Word of God. I, I begin to think, uh, any, any movie lovers in here, I'm not talking about going specifically to the movie theater, but does anyone like to watch movies? We don't get a ton of time anymore, it seems like, to do it, but there is a movie that my wife and I enjoy sitting down and watching. It's the movie um, called Hidden Figures. It's a movie about these three African-American women who um, became a part of NASA and helped... Um, with a specific mission that was going on. And and for those of you who have not seen it, I don't want to give too much away. But I am going to um, spoiler alert for just a moment. There's a young lady in this movie that her role in the movie is called a computer. And this is before computers were a thing. And she's a computer because she can take mathematical equations laid out in front of her and quickly solve those problems in order to help the engineers of NASA fix an issue. And they were trying to figure out how to get their men home from circling the moon. And nobody could figure it out. There was an error every single time the math was done and come to the end. And so they brought in this lady. Her name was Catherine. And she became the only African-American woman in a room full of 99% white males. They wouldn't talk to her. They wouldn't look at her. In fact, they brought in a coffee pot and labeled it black only. She had no bathroom within a quarter mile of where she was at. And this lady would get these stacks of of mathematical equations to figure out, and all of these lines were blanked out with a permanent Sharpie marker. She couldn't even do her job. And she began to realize this one specific time that she had to figure out and help these men so that the Americans would be able to make it back safely. And she realized that if she held that piece of paper up to the light she could see all of the missing parts of the equation. She figures everything out, and she goes to the boss, played by Kevin Costner. They're sitting in his office, and they begin to share. And he goes, how do you know that information? How how do you know classified information? And she goes, well, I just held the paper up to the light, and I could see the equation. And it became this running joke for a moment in the movie. And the boss replies back, well, I think we need darker ink. Right? Just a small, laughable moment in the midst of all seriousness. And as I'm thinking about this movie that I've probably seen one too many times. I'm thinking about this movie and I began to think about that very thought. Imagine all of our sins written out in manuscript form and we tried to take a black sharpie marker and cross out all of the terrible things that we've done yet someone could still hold it up to the light and see it. Church, there is no ink darker than the blood of Jesus Christ. No ink that is darker than the blood that was shed to blot out the handwriting of ordinances that was against you and against me, and against your child and your spouse. He took that record and he completely blotted it out and covered it with the only thing that could cover your sin debt, his precious blood. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. But that's not all he did. Jesus not only paid for the writing that was against you and I, he also took it completely out of the way. He removed it completely and he nailed it right here to the cross. He did everything possible to make certain that the handwriting that was against you could no longer accuse you. Nothing could accuse you. And the moment that you and I confess, the moment that we confess our sin debt and we agree with God, we are saved and forgiveness comes and it stays. And so Christ was nailed to the cross and he paid the debt and the penalty and God wiped it away forever. He canceled your sin debt. But how often do we truly Rest and rejoice in that fact. Once a year, Easter, maybe Christmas. How often do we rejoice in the fact that Christ took away your sin and made it possible for you to live peaceably with God? There was a young woman, uh, another prolific hymn writer by the name of elizabeth hewitt anybody ever heard of her okay one maybe two people she was a public school teacher in the late 1800s and she was saved through a revival event and and she left her profession to begin writing hymns for the local church that she began attending and nearing her death she penned these words as she reflected upon the cross that paved the way for her salvation She said, my faith has found a resting place, not in device or creed. I trust the ever-living one, his wounds for me shall plead. I need no other argument, I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. This ends my fear and my doubt. A sinful soul, I came to him, he'll never cast me out. My heart is leaning on the word, the living word of God, salvation by my Savior's name, salvation through his blood. My great physician heals the sick, the lost he came to save. For me, his precious blood he shed, for me, his life he gave. And so the cross is the place where Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. The second reminder this evening is that the cross was the place where Jesus provided the only way for us to be with the Father. The only way. I love what John records in the Gospel of John chapter 14 where Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Amen, Christian? He goes to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Amen. That's a better promise than the place that he's preparing. But that he's coming again and he will receive you unto himself. And that where he is, we will be also. You know, the disciples had reason to trouble when Jesus spoke those words. Just moments before, Jesus had told them that one of them was a traitor. Traitor. In chapter 13, one of you is a traitor. One of you is going to betray me. He goes on to say that all of you will deny me. And that he was also going to leave them that night. Man, talk about a conversation over dinner. All of that would legitimately trouble any person. And yet Jesus told them, don't let your heart be troubled. You know, Jesus never wanted you and I to have life without trouble. But he promised that we could have an untroubled heart in the midst of our trouble. In the midst of whatever circumstance and and situation. So instead of giving in to a troubled heart, Jesus says, put your trust in God. And if you put your trust in God, you can put your trust in me too. You can trust me because guess what? I'm, I'm radically calling you to do what I am asking you to do and that's trust. And that radical call comes with a radical promise and that's he's going to prepare a place and that he's also going to come back and bring you to it. And so that radical call and radical promise should allow our heart to not be troubled Jesus gave them reason to not worry or fear and he spoke with complete confidence about heaven. Jesus didn't wonder about life beyond the earth. He knew what was there. And he told the disciples that there was room for them and room for all. And I don't have too much time to to dive in here, but I I don't want us to, to read or hear that portion of scripture and think that Jesus is up in heaven getting your mansion ready. Because that's not it at all. The, 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 one, the one heaven, our eternal home, will have rooms. A, a mansion, a residency for each one of us. And that's there because of what Jesus did on the cross. And I don't have time to unpack uh, the original Greek language and help us to understand that. But the essence of heaven is the eternal presence of Jesus Christ. And the only way for you and I to enter into that eternal presence and have heaven as our home with Jesus and be with the Father was for Jesus to go and prepare a place. It was for him to leave the earth and that place was through the work of the cross here where Jesus was bloodied and bruised. In other words, when Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, and as I go, I become the way that you get there. I am the truth that you hold on to to get there. I am the life, the eternal life that you will enjoy when you get there. When Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, he says, I open the way to make it possible for you to even go. I am the way, I confirm the truth, I am the truth, I purchase the life, and I am that life, is what Jesus was speaking. And so Jesus promised to come for his followers. And that was not only in the sense of his soon resurrection in Scripture, or even in the coming of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. But Jesus had in mind this great gathering together of his people at the very end of the age. The entire focus, though, of heaven is being reunited with Jesus. Being in his presence. I'm just going to make this statement and if you have a problem with it, we can talk after. Heaven is not heaven because there are streets of gold. And heaven is not heaven because there are pearly gates. And heaven is not heaven because there are the presence of of millions of angels. But heaven is heaven because Jesus is there. Jesus is there because the price comes. Uh, of our sin was paid in full by the work of jesus on the cross god's justice towards us became eternally satisfied so the cross was the place where jesus provided the only way for us to be with the father and then the last reminder this evening is that it is still the preaching of the cross that has the power to change lives outside of the cross of christ there is no hope in this world that the cross and the resurrection at the very core of the gospel is the only hope for humanity. Wherever we go, whatever moment of life or season of life that we find ourselves in, we should be asking God for wisdom on how to get the gospel in even in the toughest of situations. People often well, <clears throat> excuse me. People often want to know where God is when they're hurting or when they're in the midst of suffering. Like, why is God silent in the middle of whatever it is that's going on in this life, but the cross is a reminder that although God is sometimes silent, even as he was when Jesus cried out, he is never absent. He's not absent. And through the suffering of Christ, he enters into our pain, and he knows our burdens, and he is a suffering Savior. I love what the writer of Hebrews chapter 4 said. He said, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you know what makes the difference in, in the, the fact of following Jesus is that Jesus added humanity to his deity. He came here in the flesh and he lived among man. And when you have been there, it makes a difference when you've been there. You might hear of some tragedy at a high school and feel the sorrow with inside of you. But nothing is like the pain you feel if it was the high school where you attended. You might hear of some tragedy in, your, in, in some workplace here in America or around the globe. And you might have a measure of sorrow for the situation. I reflect back often over the last week and a half to two weeks about the recent school shooting at the church in Tennessee, Kentucky. Tennessee, was it Tennessee? Nashville, Tennessee. And I think about that moment where a young lady came into a school and she shot a poor child whose whose dad happened to be a pastor of a local church in the community. And though in that moment I thought much about my own children... And what would I do in that situation? Sorrow filled my thoughts very quickly. But it would be nothing like if that situation was my family and the sorrow that would come. And Jesus knows what it is like in this life to have sorrow, to have a broken relationship. Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted and to battle though he was never stained by sin. Sometimes we think that because Jesus is God that he could never know our pain or temptation or our suffering the way that we know our pain or our temptation or our suffering. In part, that's true. Jesus faced temptation and suffering and pain much more severely than you and I ever will. He knew that the strength and the the fury of external temptation and pain in a way and to a degree that you and I could never even fathom. He knows what we go through. In fact, he's faced worse. The pain and the suffering of the cross was not just physical pain, but it was relational pain. Jesus was forsaken by the Father so that you and I could know the Father. We've been reconciled to God through Christ. And we've been able to come into a right relationship with him. And because of that, we can cast every care upon him because he cares for us. Because of the cross, you and I can make it. You can unburden your heart at the very foot of the cross knowing that your suffering is just temporal and that Christ suffers and suffered with us and for us. And as we focus on the cross tonight. I just want to remind us that the payment for our sin does not give us a license to live the way that we want. Our lives have been purchased and have been redeemed. And it can become so easy for us to become over familiar with the cross and lose sight of what it accomplished there. So as we contemplate the cross. There are three things that I would like to address tonight. I want you to take out the sticky notes. If you would that we're sitting on the seat. If you don't have one there's they're kind of dispersed Throughout. <clears throat> and I'm asking every, every person here, and if you're online, um, just grab three pieces of paper. I'm asking every person tonight to do a few things. We must first remember that although our sin was paid for, we still need to live a clean life. And so the very first thing that I'd like to address is that one thing that sin will always do is it will cause us to lose our sensitivity to more sinful behavior. And so tonight I'm asking each one of us to do a heart check, an examination, so to speak. Maybe there is a sin in your life that needs to be confessed. Something that you need to come clean on and clear your conscience so that you can live a clean life before God. Something that you need to confess and forsake. I don't want you to write your name on any one of these cards. But I am going to ask you to write down the sin that's hindering you in your relationship with God. And in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to come and place it on the cross. Well, maybe, perhaps, you're like, Pastor, I know I'm one who sins, but I can't think of something egregious in my life that's hindering my relationship with God. Well, perhaps you're here tonight, and there is a burden that you are bearing. Something that's heavy. Maybe it's shame and guilt, or maybe it's sorrow. Maybe it's something completely different, only between you and God, but it's heavy. Maybe it's something that's caused worry and fear, anxiety, and panic in your life, and it's weighing you down. I'm going to ask you to write that burden on the second sticky note. Or maybe you're in here tonight, and there is a family member or a friend a neighbor, a coworker that you have been wanting to reach with the gospel. Someone that you know in your life that needs Christ, a soul that needs to be reached. I want you to write that person's name down on the third sticky note. And here in just a moment, I'm going to close us in prayer, and a song is going to be played. And as that song is played, I'm asking you to bring those sticky notes. And I'm asking you to place them right here on the cross. After you place them there, I'm going to ask you to spend a few moments alone with the Lord. Praying over, through, and about those three different sticky notes. The sin, the burden, the person. The sin, the burden, the person. And I'm going to ask us to end a little bit differently tonight. I love the fact that our church gets together and after the service, we like to linger and chat and talk. And I love that. I love the fellowship aspect. Tonight, though, I'm going to ask you to stay in an attitude of prayer. Tonight, I'm going to ask you that after you've, stayed, you've come and, and put the sticky notes at the cross and you've had some moments of time with the Lord, I'm going to ask you to leave in an attitude of prayer. I'm not saying you can't talk. Just don't talk in here. We will be available if you need someone to pray with you. But I'm asking tonight as you depart to contemplate the things that we talked about this evening. To contemplate the cross of Christ in everything that it means and stands for. Is it, is it just a decoration to you? Or is it so much more? Is it so much more than that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I come to you this evening and I thank you, God, for the cross I thank you for the, the sacrifice of your son in order to pave the way for us to live peaceably with you. And God, I, I ask that we would never forget that there would be a constant reminder of the agony that your son had to endure and walk through just to give us away. Thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness of sin. Thank you Lord for the healing that comes by your hand. Thank you Lord for the chains that are broken and the addictions that are removed, for the marriages that are restored, for the lives that were once walking in into the place of hell that are now running towards glory. And that all came because of your blood. God, we thank you. Thank you for the blood that was applied. Thank you for your love and your mercy in this life, lest we never forget it. Challenge us in this place, Lord. Show us fresh and new as we glean from your word every morning or every evening, every Bible study, every small group teach us change us mold us shape us and i just ask and pray these things in jesus precious and holy name if